מורנו ורבנו. היי עמוס, אין חנוכה שמח. חנוכה שמח, everyone. Um, so this is coming out on the, what is it? Well, Thursday night. the night before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because Judaism, the day starts from the night. Yeah. Also, we want to address, uh, if you see any spam comments in, in any of the videos, um, just report them. Don't worry. Don't click on any phone numbers or links or emails. Um, pretty much all the links that we provide are the good links, and that's it. Um, also, Very important. anyone that pretends to be us. Because mm-hmm. we won't do that in the comments, I think. We'll keep that to the description. So, just just bear in mind that. Basic cyber security. Yeah. Um, so, today's topic is a question with a hundred answers. Mm-hmm. Hanukkah. Hanukkah. What's the miracle? That's right. It's a real basic question. It's a question that many people would ask intuitively. Hmm. And so it's a two-part question. The first part is the actual question itself, which is a technical question, which really hits on a lot of, uh, on the possibly the main miracle of Hanukkah. And then the broader question, which has to specifically do with lighting the menorah and the miracle being eight days and the duration of the miracle. So we'll get into that. And the second one is, what's the big deal? Like the, the, the big picture question is, all right, they lit a menorah and it lasted for eight days. Shkoyach, you know, we learned that as kids. <laughs> or maybe you don't learn that as kids. Maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe you're learning <laughs> it now. Uh, maybe you can read it up. You know, the, the miracle of the menorah, the Cheshmonaim conquered the Hellenists, hmm. which was, we'll get into that war. Uh, if it was an external war or an internal war, and what that means, and what's the significance of the war, and how long did it last. We'll get into that in a little bit. But then it culminated with dedicating the temple, or rededicating the temple, I should say, because the temple was under Jewish, with Jewish autonomy, but not under Jewish sovereignty. And that changed yes. during the Hasmonean dynasty, mm. not just regaining autonomy, but regaining sovereignty in Judea and other parts of Palestine, which is known as Israel. Mm. And it's a very important change. It's a huge change, historically speaking, as far as uh, sovereignty, who you pay taxes to, and why Mm. that's such a significant thing. Yeah. The specific act that is commemorated by Jews everywhere, and even by a lot of... General people, like you know, non-Jews, Gentiles, around the world is lighting the Hanukkah, mm. which is uh, the eight or nine-branch candelabra versus the menorah, which was a seven-branch golden candelabra, which was yeah. in the temple. And the reason for it being a nine-branch con- candelabra is one candle is called the shamash, or essentially the candle that serves all the other candles. Yeah. And its main purpose 
is to serve the other candles. We won't get into halachic reasons for that, but mm. basically you can't enjoy, you can't derive benefit from the lights of the Hanukkah candles. It's simply to publicize the miracle. Therefore, you need one candle to use for general use, reading a book, lighting other candles, uh, lighting your oil lamp at home, counting money, things like that. Mm. Uh, and the eight candles that we light from one till eight uh, on eight consecutive nights is reminding us of the miracle, which is that one jug of oil that the Kohanim, the Hashemonaim family found in the temple that was pure, that wasn't defiled by yes. the Greeks or the Hellenists, lasted for eight days, even though the jug had the quantity of oil to burn for one day. Mm. Or at least that's what we learn. Well, yeah, that's, as no, the, but that's, the, that's the, accurate. The, my, my, that's pretty accurate that there was one day's worth of oil. Everybody yeah. agrees there was one day's worth of yeah, oil. Yeah, yeah. And the and the jug and the pach shel shemen kad shel shemen, which was ceramic, uh, which is also significant as far as the laws of purity and impurity. Mm-hmm. And it lasted for eight days. So you're like, okay, as we say in the other shkoyach, great, <laughs> okay. So like, okay, so one thing lasted for eight days. Oh, all right, that's pretty cool. But like, aside from being cool and very interesting, like, why is why do we do that what's the miracle and specifically you can ask the question well if they found a jug that is for one day and then it lasted for eight days then here almost how many days is the actual miracle seven seven <laughs> right meaning because they a miracle is something above and beyond the scope of nature yes correct by definition and if you're going to publicize the miracle, mm. you wouldn't publicize the first day. If it lasted for one day, you, would, you wouldn't say it's a miracle. You'd say, wow, they found an oil. That's really great. And they lit it great. for one yeah. day. But no, but that one thing lasted for eight days. Therefore, it's, it's supposed to last one day. But the miracle is it lasted for seven days beyond its capacity. So the miracle should be celebrated as seven days. But it's not. It's celebrated as eight days, and that's the famous question that Rabbi Yosef Karo, the great 16th century Kabbalist who wrote the commentary on the Arba Turim, which is the foundation for the book of the Codex of Jewish Law today, called the Shulchan Aruch, which he mm-hmm. wrote, but he commented on the Arba Turim, which was written several, uh, really two generations, or no, more, about about several hundred years before um, he lived, and he lived in Svat. So he wrote a commentary called the Beit Yosef, because his name was Yosef. Right. And uh, it's a very, very extensive commentary on the Allahic work called the Four Pillars, or Alba Turim, which is the format for the Shulchan Aruch, for the Code of Jewish Law, which then Rabbi Yosef Karo wrote based on the commentaries he had on the Arba Haturim. But this question is brought on his commentary to the Arba Haturim, not in the Code of Jewish Law, uh, where he goes into much more depth and the sources, and instead of just saying what the bottom line, what the halacha is, as we say, what the the Jewish law says, it says one, two, three, four, five. That's what he goes through in his book. But in his commentary, yeah. he goes much, much deeper into the reasons behind it, the sources, and whatnot. And yeah. this is one of the questions he asks. To this question, there's about a hundred answers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> let's start from the beginning. So the question is. First of all, 
why is this dedication a big deal? What do you well, say? The rededication of the, of the... The rededication of the temple. And specifically lighting the menorah. Like, why is that... Before we get into the actual technical question of why was the miracle eight days, not seven days, hmm. which we will get into, but why is this act so significant? Well, it was it was a return to to norm as such mm-hmm. of of the times of old in for for the Hashmonaim in in even though they might have probably weren't alive during the first temple era. No, they were not alive during so, no, but even in the second temple. But which yeah, but like, which empire did the second temple start in? The Babylonian. No. Hmm? The Persian. The Babylonians destroyed the first temple. Yeah. Mm. Mm. And then for 70 years we were in exile. Then the story of Purim happened. Which we won't get into. Yeah. And then the Jews were able to go back and return to Israel from Babylon and from the rest of Persia. Mm. Yeah, yeah. The decree of Cyrus. The Purim story happened around then well history is clearly not as strong that's okay <laughs> so Ezra Ezra this is a learning session yeah, so that it's okay Ezra and Nehemiah <laughs> everyone else can learn too everyone else no, can not learn. just me that's correct Ezra and Nehemiah yeah were the first to really co-build really Ezra more than Nehemiah but Nehemiah helped him and this is in the, at the end of the canonized Tanakh and the Ketuvim and the scriptures mm. there's a book called Ezra the book called Nehemiah they're essentially the same book an extension of the same book. And that's when they rebuilt, they, they built the second temple, which was a much more modest version of Solomon's first, temple, which yeah. was the first temple. Because there's, there's a, is it in the Talmud where, where it says about the people that remembered the, the first temple, the elders that remembered the first temple cried. No, it's it's in the Tanakh itself. In the Tanakh itself. Yeah. The, yeah right. the elders cried and the, and the, the youngsters rejoiced. They, they also cried. Yes, but, but they cried out of joy. Out of joy, that's right. And the elders cried because they remembered Solomon's temple and the glory of it, and how magnificent it was. And saw this little kvetch, small, you know, meager, uh, you know, shadow of itself version yeah. of the set of the, uh, you know, the second temple built in the time of Ezra was a shadow of the first temple, mm-hmm. meaning it was not even close. So they cried because they're like, "Yeah, we built the second temple, but it's like owning a mansion." having it destroyed, and then building like a little shed and saying, this is my house. And and, and still having the same area. And the young people are like, <laughs> yes, we have a house. You know, it's like your first apartment where you're like, you're like wow, yeah. this is amazing. Like, I have a hole in the wall and there's mold and things are falling apart. It's like, you know, like, you know, you have Ikea furniture because it's 50 square meters, you know, <laughs> and you're like so excited versus someone who goes from a mansion to that and like is lamenting. It's mm. like, oh my God. I used to have a swimming pool, and now I don't even have a garage. You know, so it's uh, yeah. it, it's it's basically the equivalent of that. Now, and and it functioned as a temple under the reason I went into detail because we were not under our own sovereignty. Yeah, yeah. So let's you, define you, sovereignty. You wrote an article about that. I last did last year, year, and I really liked it. Mm. So really let's good. define sovereignty. So what is the definition of sovereignty? Can I give you a definition? Yes. It's who you pay taxes to. That's right. And it's not my <laughs> definition, by the way. That's uh, Shmuel no, Bahat. But I really Shmuel. like... Yeah, it. yeah. It that's what I learned in my... to my mind. Yes. <laughs> that is the definition of sovereignty. Or that's the... 
not the definition of it, but that's the gauge. Yeah. That's how do you gauge sovereignty? Is do you have rule over yourself? Do you have autonomous rule, political rule, like governance? You have governance over yourself, or are you under someone else's governance? For example, the myth is that Israel is under the governance of the USA. That is not true because you don't pay taxes to the USA. Meaning, you pay taxes to the IRS if you're an American citizen. But you pay taxes in Israel to the state of Israel, and a lot of it. I know because I did that for years. Uh, you know, in New Zealand, you don't pay taxes to the Queen. You pay taxes to the government of no, New Zealand. So you have sovereignty. Mm-hmm. If you're on, if you were a British colony, you would pay taxes yeah, to so Britain. Back in the day, New Zealand would have. Back in the day, New Zealand would have been under British sovereignty, and would have been a colony. But then it, it gained independence. You're not dependent anymore on the colony and so many colonies became independent Hmm. maybe the culture is similar maybe there's still the union jack on the flag and all that but that's more of a historical reference and it's all there is you know republicans here versus you don't get into that you know but but effectively we have their sovereignty in new zealand and canada and other places for sure in the united states under british rule yeah in israel today you have sovereignty which is a big deal yeah. Which is which That's is really huge. started the war of independence. Mm. Seventy two years. Two thousand twenty one it's gonna be seventy three years. Mm. Which is almost the uh, it's almost the duration of the entire Hasmonean dynasty, which spanned anywhere between eighty to hundred and twenty years, depending on how you count it. Yeah. And they had rule where you paid taxes to the Hasmoneans, Hashmonaim, meaning to the Levites who now to to Jews who ruled other Jews. And you mm. weren't under the Greek Empire anymore, or the Hellenistic yeah. Empire, which is effectively the Greek Empire, the Seleucids, yeah. who were the uh, Greek uh, part of the Greek Empire, who controlled Syria and Palestine of the time. It's a huge deal. How big of a deal was it? If you look at the the empires, you have the Israeli Empire from the time of King Saul, really Joshua, King Saul, hmm. uh, all which is. 400 years apart, but still, essentially uh, from Joshua, King Saul, all the way until the Babylonian Empire finally destroyed, destroyed the, the first, first temple yeah. and f- exiled the re- the remnant of the Jewish people, mainly Judea, Judea and the Levites, to Babylon for 70 years. Hmm. Then, under the, then the Persians took over the Babylons. We were able to return to Israel, but still pay taxes to the Persians. That's very apparent in the story of the Megillah that ends with us paying taxes to Achashverosh, which is a huge statement. Yeah. We'll get into that in a few months when we get to talk about Purim. Yeah. And then uh, we had the Second Temple. We were able to be autonomous there, but our taxes went to the Persians. Then when Alexander the Great and the Syrians and the Seleucids took over from the Persians, they attacked the Persians mm. and they continued battled them even after they were an empire. We paid taxes to the Greeks, and then the Cheshmonaim, what they did is they had a war against the Hellenists, specifically against Antiochus IV, and through guerrilla warfare, they were able to, uh, in about four years, they were able to recapture mm. many parts of Israel, yeah. establish a monarchy in Judea and parts of Israel, not as expansive as, as Israel is today, but still, no. the middle of the country, yeah. all the way to the coast, and... Uh, specifically, the temple then was not under Hellenistic rule and not pagan anymore, but it was Jewish again and pure, 
And one of the main things you have to do at the temple every single day, if you're the high priest, is light, light the, the menorah. menorah. So it's very symbolic right. of the, the temple is ours. We have sovereignty. Yeah. What is the symbol of the state of Israel today? The menorah. The menorah. Yeah. The that is, there is no coincidence. Yeah. That is not a coincidence. There was actually a contest. I mentioned that a few years ago, uh, two years ago, in fact. There was a contest about who is, uh, what's the state of Israel, going, the symbol going to be after 1948. And, yeah. there, and that was the drawing that won with a uh, the olive branches, which mm. symbolizes yeah, peace. And also the olives, right? And Medina mm. Israel, the state of Israel, so we're our own state. And, and symbol by the menorah, which is the same symbol as Hanukkah. Yes. And the symbol of the temple. And Jerusalem. It's all very interesting. Yeah. And that's why the lighting the menorah is very significant. Plus, there's a light we have in every shul called Ner Tamid, yep. the, the uh, forever everlasting light. And that everlasting light needs to be lit. Today, it's, of course, electric, not uh, a flame, mm. for safety reasons, and also for <laughs> because uh, you can't have a, a flame there. Not, not just for safety reasons, but also in general. Uh, it wouldn't last. Uh, the miracle was uh, essentially in the temple. There were many miracles. One of the, the miracles was candle. the westernmost yeah. candle because it was to the south, perpendicular. Therefore, it was uh, lit from west to east or east close to west. Is the, the right? Holy of Holies. That's right. Close right. to the Holy of Holies, which is the west uh, part of that room called the Holy of Holies, uh, and that western candle would remain lit for twenty-four hours. Yeah. While the others burned out, yeah. and it was an oil lamp lantern just like aladdin imagine basically an aladdin candle there were seven of those yeah one in the middle three on each side there was no such thing as a shamash or probably the western candle was a shamash yeah but it didn't move and we learned about that in the talmud class so yeah that's what it was now uh as a you know imagine the, the lighting the menorah is very akin to a ribbon cutting ceremony hmm Except it's not just a ribbon a ribbon cutting, of course, for those who don't know, is, you know, they usually give like the mayor or CEO or something, yeah. these big, gigantic, like scissors. unusable scissors <laughs> that are only meant for symbolic events. And you put a ribbon, which is not really there, it's just there for show. And they cut the ribbon with a huge cut. photo. They <laughs> yeah. cut it, or maybe they cut it with several people, yeah. um, basically inaugurating the space for any new space or mm. dedicated building or whatever. Uh, similarly, you have pictures with you know, with mayors and whatever, with shovels, even though they'll never use a shovel in their life as the, a cornerstone, they, yeah, they're, they're digging, just, they're they're digging the a new shul yeah. or a new building or a new whatever it is, community center, something they funded, basically to say, we're so great, we're getting the honor, blah, blah, mm -hmm. blah. In this case, it wasn't just for the honor, it was an actual act that you do. So it would be much more akin of putting up a mezuzah in your house. You need to put up a mezuzah in your house. Yeah. And when you do a Hanukkah Tabayit, which means a, re a dedication or an oh, okay. inauguration of your yeah. home, which is the same word as Hanukkah, right? Which means yeah. a dedication or an mm -hmm. inauguration. Similarly, there was Hanukkah Tamishkan when the Mishkan, when the tabernacle was first built in the desert in the second year, a year and one month after the Exodus, or actually a year... And two weeks before, right? The first of Nisan, the second year, which basically, basically a year after the Exodus, um, they brought a series of sacrifices for eight days. And on the eighth day, God brought down fire from the heavens and ate, so to speak, the, their korban, korban. Even though God's not physical, but it's a uh, personification. Yeah. Uh, but he basically consumed 
their korban with fire from the heavens, which is obviously a miracle, symbolizing that he accepts their sacrifices and that the temple is now officially ready for normal use. Ready for regular use. And that was his dedication. Yeah. Big, big ceremony mentioned in the Tanakh, mentioned in uh, <coughs> Parashat Shemini in the third uh, uh, parasha of the book of Leviticus, of Vayikra, for a reason. And all of them use the same word, Chanukah, hmm. inauguration or dedication. And so in order to dedicate the temple, this time there's no fire from the heavens. People had to do it because there was no prophecy. And they did that by lighting the menorah. Now, they had a light for one day, so they could have just lit for one day. And said, okay, we have to get new oil. Get new oil, but at least we lit for one day. For one yeah. day. Or they could have waited to get oil and then lit after they got the oil. Hmm. They didn't do those two options. Or, because they, the Greeks didn't destroy the, the oil. All they did was opened the seal. They broke the seal. Hmm. By breaking the seal, since they're not Jewish, they uh, and there's laws of purity and impurity, and they were also involved in warfare and things like that. Therefore, they, they came into close contact with corpses. They were considered impure. It's a yeah. spiritual halachic status. So all the kadim that the, the seal was broken on are considered pasul because... Correct, because they're in ceramic. Because yeah. they're in ceramic and they yeah. cannot be purified. Yeah. Because it's just the law. The, the law yeah. That's the law. And so it's a spiritual status. It has nothing to do with cleanliness or hygiene or anything like that. Mm. Spiritual thing of purity and impurity. And really the myth is that you're not allowed to light impure oil. The truth is that you are allowed to light impure oil. Yeah. And the menorah is just uh, of less value. You could also don't have to light with olive oil. You could light with any oil. Uh, though specifically in the temple, there was... The commandment is with olive oil. That's in Parashat Behalotcha in yeah. the Book of Numbers and Bamidbar. It's right before your brother's parasha. Mm -hmm. So, or two before your brother's parasha, yeah. I should say. Yeah. I'll bet you'll do that. Yeah, that's right. That's it. It's the winter time. No cricket. No cricket. <laughs> so that is, uh, that's why they lit the menorah. So now we'll have to get into why it was Eight, why we celebrate the miracle eight days and not seven. So we'll leave you with that for now and we'll go on a break and we'll be back soon. We'll be right back. And we're back. Um, so where were we? Rabbi Tom. We were... <laughs> we were at the, the actual question now. So now we've set yeah. the stage mm -hmm. for, why, for, for the answering the question... Why is the miracle eight days and not seven days? If, yeah. the, if there was one day's worth of oil in the jug they found. Mm -hmm. We understand the context now. We understand the framework. We understand why this is an important act. Just jump into the answer. Wouldn't do justice to the actual issue. Yes. Yeah. So now let's get into what actually happened. So why it happened and why did they have to wait for eight days? Like Surely they can just produce olive oil or buy some. Yeah. Right. So what did they do? They went up to the Galilee, got the finest of the olive oil, which is the first oil produced from each from, olive. From each olive, yeah. And it takes about a day or so to gather that. Mm. And then bring it back to the temple. And then have the normal supply of olive oil olive from the Galilee in general runs. Because yeah. that's usually where they got olive oil from. 
You know, mm. Olive oil is produced predominantly in which country today? In? Not Israel. Spain. Yeah. Spain is the number one producer of olive oil today. Mm. <clears throat> of course, there's olive oil made around the world. Mediterranean countries produce very good olive oil. Italy, of course, yeah. produces a lot of olive oil. That's why a lot of the recipes are with olive oil. Mm. Um, Israel, of course, olives are one of the seven species. I believe Greece also has Greece, yeah, all the Mediterranean countries. Good climate for olive oil. There's a lot of olive trees in Jerusalem and all of Israel, specifically in the north. That's why the Golani symbol is an olive tree in the army, right? For example. All these connections. So in the Galilee, is known as the best olive oil in Israel. In Israel. Israel. When they collected it, so they didn't have Ubers back then. (laughs) Nor did they have cars or planes or road number six. Today. Or road number six. Today you go there. <laughs> Hatisha and you Hatisha, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's half right. an hour back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you go, you go for like three, you know, two, three hours north to the Galilee. You stop at, you know, stop for a coffee on the way. You get it, yeah. you come back. You can be there about that day. Maybe you sleep overnight and you come back the next day. At that time, from Jerusalem to the Galilee was three days travel each way. Yes. And that was still considered fast. That was like on a horse. Yeah, that's really horse and buggy, that was fast. Yeah. And so the one day to collect the oil, so it's really seven days. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe two so, days to collect the oil. So basically, in the middle. it had to... Hmm? Shabbat would also have to be in the middle. Shabbat would be in the middle. <coughs> so therefore, you have, you have effectively, when you light the first one, you have to make it last for an additional seven days afterwards until you can light it on the eighth... Uh, on the eighth day, really the ninth day. Yeah. After they come back. And that's the reason they had to wait eight days. They wanted to rededicate it right away for reasons we'll get into at the end of the podcast. But also, you know, if you're going to rededicate something, you don't want to wait. You want to rededicate it right now. Yeah. You don't want to wait. It was <clears throat> much more of a spiritual declaration than it was a halachic. Yeah, it was... Uh, uh, reasoning for it? So, so-called so political statement, mm-hmm. really. Um, it, was a, it was a statement. Yeah. Meaning, there's also the Jewish law side of it that you have to light the menorah in yeah. order to, for the temple to be a functioning temple. Yeah, but it was more of a, here it is and we did it sort yes. of symbol. Absolutely. Um, so let's get into uh, the, what we just talked about just before we came back, which is... Um, the prayers that we have uh, our, in the Amidah, when we say Alanisim for during Hanukkah, we talk about the um, the wicked people and the impure people and the Zedim, which <laughs> we were we were last on the people who do who wrongdoings like, deliberately, yeah, potentially d- deliberate wrongdoers. Mm. There's no word for that in English. I don't know if there Eng- is. English is a weird it, language. English is a very strange language. <laughs> um, but um, within the commentary of the, of the Sidol, the article Sidol, mm-hmm. it's found under, well, I was looking at Chachalit. And so the commentary for that uh, states that those people are not the Syrian Greeks, rather they were the Jewish collaborators. So let's get into that a bit. Right. And why... We want to get into that, and then we also want to answer the question about the seven days. Yes. So, yeah. the the war 
the war was twofold or on two fronts. There was the actual physical war, hmm. and then there was a spiritual slash cultural war. There was an actual war because they were under Greek sovereignty. Antiochus the Fourth historically went down to Egypt. He fought against the Perthians, which are Persians, because they were always fighting, even though it was under the Greek Empire. Yeah, yeah. The rumor got out that he was killed. It was a false rumor, and the Jews in Israel celebrated. Mm. And when he came back from Egypt and heard that the Jews celebrated that on that that he was dead, well, he didn't take to that so nicely, and he killed a whole bunch of Jews. Now, historically speaking, fair enough, I think. Yeah. Well, yeah, possibly. Historically speaking, <laughs> that's what ruthless dictators did. You know, so. You know, uh, as, as sad as it is, of course, I say that with you know, a little bit coldly in history. Obviously, it's horrible people slaughtering other people, but yeah. but in the historical context, yeah, that's what you do. You know, if you're a dictator. However, he did something that was unprecedented in his time, and even until that time point, setting a precedent for years and years and years and generations to come, which is putting religious sanctions on the Jews, mm. not forcing them to adopt Greek religion, which he also basically tried to do, yeah. but forcing the Jews not to, not to practice keep thought. their own religion. Yeah. It's never it was never done before. I Meaning usually you have like, say, the Moabites go to Israel and say, adopt our gods or die. Mm. That's all legitimate in warfare. And Israel's like No. I'll tell you I'll, I'll go tell <laughs> I'll tell you where to go. And they're like, okay. And then they fight to the bloody death and whoever wins wins. Yeah. You know, that's warfare between nations, between pagan nations, and throughout all of history. Mm-hmm. Never until Antiochus IV, who was a Seleucid, and the kingdom after Alexander the Great was split was into split. Different, yeah. uh, different factions, if you will, different families, right? The Seleucids controlled what, we call, what they called Syria. They mm. ruled from Syria, Israel, and the whole region in that part of the Middle East. Syria, Palestina. Yeah. More or less. Yeah, more or less. Syrian Greeks, as they were known. Yeah. That's why they were known as the Syrian Greeks, right? Because there were other Greeks in Athens, etc., and other places. And he said, no, you can't, the Jews can't keep Shabbat, you can't do circumcision, you can't eat kosher food, things like that. You can't Mm. learn Torah. Yeah. And it became a cultural war. And not only that, but he got Jews to be Hellenists. Being a Hellenist was incredibly attractive for a lot of different reasons. You know, glorified the body, glorified aesthetics for the na- in the name of aesthetics, mm. not any spiritual, uh, Greek mythology. Yeah. A lot of these things, uh, strength, might, and uh, things that Judaism, I won't get into the, the whole culture of it, but as a culture, it spat in the face of what Judaism said. It was the antithesis of yeah. Jewish yeah, values. It's not, it's not the forefront. Correct. Jewish, Jewish values today adopt a lot of Greek uh, in them, but mm. but elevate them to where they serve spiritual needs versus, for example, versus. aesthetics. It's important to have uh, a mitzvah to do a mitzvah in an aesthetic way, but it's yeah. for the purpose of doing the mitzvah, not to show to gloat how great your body is. It's important to keep in shape mm. in order to serve Hashem, not in order to be naked and do the Olympics and nude to show off how amazing your body is. Yeah. Yeah. Those are the key differences. Hellenistic culture, even today, incredibly attractive 
basically the Western culture is not based on Roman culture. It's based on Greek culture. Mm-hmm. The Romans, you know, they had their own gods, yeah. essentially were made the Greek culture much more powerful. Mm-hmm. But the Greek culture is the predominant culture we fight today. That's why Hanukkah is an incredibly, wildly important holiday, even though there's yeah. only one mitzvah, which is to light the candles. Light the candles. Or light a candle. Light a candle. At the right? very Everyone, minimum. Every night. As we did, we learned about in the... In the Greek period... Talmud class. So, for example, what things did they do? They, they were in charge of the Septuagins. They, they, translate the, they facilitated the translation of the Torah into Greek. Over three days, yes. with seventy elders, yeah. who without any without a WhatsApp group, they managed <laughs> or FaceTime, they, they managed to all translate it into Greek identically. Yes, seventy people, mm. seventy Jews agreeing on one thing, extremely rare. Never happens. Never happens. And it's called the Septuagint. Or the Septuagint translation. They all make, made a mistake in one one particular place or something on purpose. Uh, they the change, for example, Bereshit bara Elohim, which yeah. is your parasha, to Elohim bara Bereshit. Yeah. They didn't make a mistake. They, they, they translated they, they, it so that God created the beginning, not the beginning created God. Yeah. So they translated it in a way that it, that's that's all the new. They all have the same nuances. Yeah. So they were all coordinated. Maybe they all had the same talking points. And mm. Apparently, they're all coordinated. It's called the Septuagint translation, and the whole idea was to show the consistency of of the Jewish people, but the fact that it was translated into Greek and Halakha is viewed as three dark days in history. It mm. happened on the 8th, 9th, and 10th days of Tevet. One of the reasons we fast on the 10th, oh, 10th of Tevet, of Tevet. Yeah. aside from the fact that the that was time that, that years, empires earlier, the Bukhanetzer put the city of Jerusalem under siege, yeah. which is also the original reason of the fast of the 10th of Tevet. It yeah. comes about a week after Hanukkah ends. Yeah, yeah. The middle of camp. The middle of camp, the middle of uh, winter in yeah. Israel. Here it's summer. Mm. All that being said, so th- that's one example. And and the, the battle, the actual battle, was as much between Jews and Jews, or Jews and Hellenists, the, the Jews that kept the original tradition of the Torah, and Hellenists and as it was between Jews and Greeks. Yeah. And Judah the Maccabee ended up winning... Mm. War, but it was many, it wasn't one war. It was a war over many many years. Yeah. A lot of guerrilla warfare. They hid in the hills of Judea, and uh, in, in, in the town of Modi'in as well. Mm. And uh, a lot of the towns around Modi'in today are named after the story of Hanukkah. So there's yeah. the issue of Maccabim. There's the issue of Chashmonaim. There's Modi'in. Mm. There's Modi'in elite. There's a lot of Beitar. It's a Kiryat Sefer. And yeah. a lot of a lot of places. Uh, Moshev Modi'in which is a Karlibach Moshev that unfortunately burned down last year which is really sad yeah yeah very, very I sad. About that. yeah great place though and please God it'll it'll uh, be rebuilt it'll be rebuilt it's a really great good. place lots of good conscience there are lots of good people live there I know some of them and, and uh, it's, the history is preserved and the and the, the graves of the Chashmonaim are there yes and you yeah. can see it you can see them today mm-hmm. <clears throat> all of that is incredibly important because what they were doing with lighting the menorah was fighting the culture war. So how was it though eight days not seven? So what did they do? For example, they needed it to last for eight days. So one of the answers is how was it eight days? Because they took that one jug of oil. They knew it had to last for eight days. So they last it lasted an eighth. They put an eighth of they filled in uh, yeah. each each candle up to an eighth of it. Mm. Thinking look, it's gonna light for 
an eighth or twelve point five percent of the day. Yeah. Right? Fine. It'll be what it's, it'll be. Yeah. But the miracle was that that even though there was only eighth of the oil, that the oil lasted for a full day. Mm. Each one of those eight days until they can bring back the, the proper batches of oil from the Galilee. Yeah. So that's one of the answers that's for one of the answers. eight and not seven. Correct. Another answer was that they lit if they put the oil fully and I two answers. Either it didn't diminish hmm. like it stayed in the same like it didn't burn down. Oil, the way it works, there's the oil, there's the wick, and there's the flame. Yeah. And usually what happens is that the wick sucks the oil in uh, order yeah, to produce draws, the flame and then the, the, oil the oil goes down and down and down and down and down and down, and down until there's no more oil left and at that point the flame naturally extinguishes because it has nothing mm. to fuel it. Yeah. Right, it's like a car filling up petrol for a car because it ignite the spark. You don't have petrol. There's no sparks to ignite, and therefore the car, the motor stops working. Yeah. After the fumes and all that. That's stuff. weird because I understand the menorah concept better than I do the cars. <laughs> yeah, well, that's because they're electric cars. Too. <laughs> but I, I think it's it's just I I know more about Hanukkah than I do about cars in general. That's so. good. There's nothing wrong with it. Don't be a mechanic then. <laughs> Not planning on it. Oh, thank God. The third, me neither. The third, uh, third answer, which is part of it, is that it diminished, but it only diminished an eighth of the time. So they put in the whole jug. Yeah. Thinking it would last for one day, and then whenever it'll come, it'll come back. At least we dedicated it. Mm. And the miracle was it lasted for, it, it only went down an eighth each day. And they they relit it, reignited the, the wicks every yeah. single day. Maybe which is the, the exact 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 inverse of what inverse. you you said you said earlier mm-hmm. of putting an eighth in and so we don't know exactly how they did it yeah we yeah. don't know it's not that relevant exactly how they did it mm. the point is that by and there's other other answers i'll get into in a minute but this the point is that any one of those three answers basically says look that there was the miracle itself was that hashem created an an a natural phenomenon or above nature phenomenon yeah. for the oil to last for eight days mm-hmm. when it was really supposed to only last for one. Yeah. In a way that even the first day itself was done in, in an a natural or uh, above nature way. Either the oil didn't diminish, only diminish an eighth or an eighth lasted a whole day. Mm-hmm. So any one of those three configurations are not natural. Even the first day, therefore, the miracle yeah. lasted for eight days. Yeah. And not just for seven. Can you imagine being the guy that was sent out to the Galil mm. to get the oil and you've slipped as fast as you can to right. the Galil, slipped all the way back That's really right. fast, as fast as you can back. Panting. <laughs> <laughs> and I got it. I got it. <laughs> and then and he's like, like, no, no, we're good, it's, we're it's all good. We're good, we're good. Don't worry. God took care of us while you were gone. He's like, oh, come on. <laughs> No, you're probably saying, Baruch Hashem, Hashem loves me. What do you mean eight days? <laughs> no, but it is a real it is a real lesson, which is another topic, but it's an important lesson on, you know, emunah and ishtadlut. You know, bitachon really and ishtadlut. Yeah. You have to trust yeah. in Hashem, but you have to do your part. Yes, yeah. So if you didn't go and get the oil from the Galilee, Hashem wouldn't have done the miracle. Yeah. Hashem doesn't do it. There's no free lunches. Yeah, yeah. Meaning yeah, even and, from and, God, right? If he does a miracle, he's not mm, going to do a miracle. The, the old the old chestnut of God helps those who help themselves. That's right. That's yeah. exactly it. Now, it doesn't always... Now, when they sent the person to the Galilee or the group or the 
team, whoever went to the Galilee. They did not say, okay, God, help us out here with a miracle. Maybe they dove in for it, but mm. it wasn't conditional. They didn't know what was going to happen. Yeah. They just lit it, and they're like, look, I have trust in Hashem, Hashem will take care of us. Mm. Uh, it's very similar to like job searching. You know, you job search, you don't know yeah. what's going to happen. I, you know, I thought even before this job, I was going to go to Sydney. I had an interview mm. in Sydney. I was like, ah, I'm a lock for there. And Wellington's a nice place. I didn't know anything about Wellington. I mean, I'm happy I'm here. I'm happy I got here. It's probably a better place than Sydney. And now you have a podcast. Look yeah, at that. Yeah, a podcast. So, no regrets. But but uh, at the time, I didn't know anything about the Southern Hemisphere. I'd never been to Australia or New Zealand. Hmm. I still haven't been to Australia. So, surprisingly. So... That's okay. Yeah, yeah, it's okay. <laughs> New Zealand is a nicer country. So, Wellington... So, uh, you know, and I just put myself out there for all these different jobs. There's three, you know, Edmonton or Sydney or here. And ended up being Wellington. The point being that, you know, you, you put yourself out there. You do your due diligence. Mm. Uh, wanted to be a community rabbi somewhere. And this is the one that fell. It's not, meaning, it's not like, it, it's not necessarily the one I put in the most intent or most effort yeah, for. Yeah. And so that, that happens. What happens with business deals, like for marketing. You'll put out for a lot of different places. You really pitch hard to someone. And mm. sometimes from someone else, it'll, it'll just come from somewhere else. But it only comes because you've put in some kind of effort. Yeah. Even if it's not a direct result of your effort. It doesn't have to be causality. Yeah, yeah. It's much more a coinciding thing than it is causality. So in this case, sending the, the people to Galilee to do the Ishtadlut, to, to do what they what they needed to do, what was in their control, then Hashem says, I'm going to help you out, now I'm going to do the miracle. Yeah. It's a very important lesson. Mm-hmm. It's not like they said, okay, Hashem will take care of us, have a miracle, and He'll magically give us olive oil. There is no such thing as a free lunch when yeah. it comes to miracles. That's an aside. Another answer is that the fact that they found the pure oil was a miracle in itself. That was the first day. And, yeah. then, and then the extension of the miracle, they, it lasted. Of lasting and, and then it, it yeah. burned down, but it, then it lasted for eight days. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though the, the, the day number one, it burned like pretty much all the way down, and then it lasted by miracle for, for seven days. For the seven so days. the first day is finding it. It's finding it. Plus seven days that it, that it lit on a sheer miracle mm. when it was completely above the realm of the laws of nature. Yeah. Now, why is that such an important answer? Because they, okay, they found it. Like, what's the big deal in finding it? Why is it such a miracle? So now that you know the history, mm. I've refreshed your memory, <laughs> then, then, uh, and, and you've done your own research as well, Th- then why would that be such a significant thing to find specifically a pure jug of oil, given everything we've said? Why is that significant? Stick it to the man. Well, the 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 Rashaim, the 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 internal war that's happening within the. Oh, so please elaborate. So how does that? But how is that a symbolism? Because you're you're going out of your way, in order to find. You could use any of the jugs of oil. We've established that already, mm-hmm. because you can still light with impure oil. Even though it's not as. Mehadrin. That's right. Um, but you go out of your way to find the perfect jug of oil in order to be able to light. That that in itself is 
a miracle, for one. But it also means that you have gone out of your way to, uh, not like a dish, but like sanctify to, to sanctify and like to serve God in a, in that sense. Mm. Like you, you've gone above and beyond. I Meaning, it's the culture war, right? Yeah. So in a culture war, you want to make a statement, and we talked about what's the statement. The statement is we are not going to compromise and just mm. light any oil. Specifically, what did they want the Jews to do? They wanted to conform the Jews to conform to Hellenism. Yeah. Why didn't the Greeks destroy? So you have to take all to the thought process, right? Why did the Greeks not destroy the oil? The Babylonians destroyed the temple. The Romans afterwards ended up even destroying, though, the, destroying the temple, even though yeah. they had 150 or so odd years where the temple was under Jewish autonomy and yeah. they were fine with it. But then it got to a point where they destroyed it in mm. the middle of the early Roman Empire. You know, so so nation and the Persians helped facilitate building because it was in their self-interest that Jews that everyone is happy that they wouldn't rebel yeah. against the Persian Empire, which worked, by the way. Yeah, it was great. It was very it was smart. Great. Yeah, so they didn't stand a chance against Alexander the Great. But but as far as how to run an empire, the Persians really had it right. Make everybody happy, and then they yeah. won't rebel against you. And they had a massive empire as well. And they had a massive empire. Yeah, massive. Hodu at Kush. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, almost like the size of the Ottoman Empire, which is also huge. Huge, yeah. And even think of the Ottoman Empire, like uh, Suleiman, the the great, the magnificent, the amazing, the yeah, Sultan Suleiman. The Sultan Suleiman in Istanbul, oh. right? He built unbelievable walls around Istanbul. He built a relatively modest wall around Jerusalem, which was an unwalled city yeah. at that time because the walls had been destroyed in the Crusaders and mm. possibly in the Rome, uh, before. Um, by that brings slu- up a well, different question to my mind about Purim, but yeah, but but the, <laughs> but he built but he built um, the city. Why he built the wall? And that wall is still the wall to this very day. Mm. Yeah, it's on the Ayubi wall, which was the the later Islam wall. Yeah, right. But the before it was destroyed by the, the Crusaders. They have like archaeological digs or something of the of the old wall when. Yeah, it's basically the, the same. The, yeah, the, the Ayubi wall. The thickness where, like, of it. Yeah, that's the whole. That we can do that another time because I, I did a tour with the lady whose name is Tamara Haetzni, who wrote the Wikipedia for the walls of the old city. Hmm. Really fascinating, really it's fascinating really cool. stuff. She's an amazing guy. She's a religious uh, lady and a Jewish religious lady in Israel. Really good guy. Really, really good guy. Anyways, but the point is that why did he build the wall so that the Jews would be happy? Yeah. And since the Jews were happy, they didn't rebel against the Ottoman Empire. They thought it was great. Hmm. You know, they, did, they ran Jerusalem to the ground. There was poverty and illness and all that stuff. But he, but initially, he built the wall and they were happy. Right. But the Greeks, they, they didn't do any of that. They didn't make the Jews happy. Yeah. But they also didn't destroy them. They didn't do it. Yeah. They wanted to destroy them culturally. Which hmm. is getting to... Which is actually smarter. Like get, getting them to assimilate. Yeah, they want it was, it was assimilation. Yeah, but that was their proclaimed goal. Like that was their they were, they were very open about yeah. their war, and they also had an army. But but the point was Hellenism. I Meaning the Jews would convert to Hellenism. That's what they needed to do. 
Hmm. That means that we're going to desecrate everything you think is holy. So by lighting the desecrated olive oil, you were essentially giving in to the real war, which was the cultural the war. The cultural war. And the spiritual war. Hmm. So if you did that, it would be like shooting yourself in the foot. It would be spiritual yeah. suicide. So you can't do that. So he said, okay, we have to have our own oil that's pure. Why? Because if we light that, we're giving it to the Greeks. Mm. And then we might as well have, have lost the war. Yeah. Like it was that, it was that bad. It wasn't an exaggeration. It wasn't a, a, an extremism on their part. Yeah. It was like, we're only going to light pure oil. Why? Because we stick to our values. And they found one. And finding that one was amazing. Because mm. the Greeks basically said, you need to conform. They're like, we'll never conform. They found that one, and that in itself was a miracle. So. Yeah. Yeah. There are also other reasons that that um, eight symbolizes above and beyond nature. The fact that yeah. the 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 army was able to defeat the big and also uh, very powerful Greek army with amazing war tactics and war elephants and things mm. like that at the time. There's a story I just heard about in a podcast by a, a Jewish religious historian, uh, Abramson. Very, very good talk. Uh, he talked about how Elazar, who was one of the Chashmonim, he actually yeah. killed the elephant, thinking that Antiochus is on that elephant by going underneath it and, and stabbing it. Yeah, I've heard and that one. And what ended up happening is the elephant, elephant you know, lost of gravity, it crushed him, and, well, yeah. he died. Uh, and Antiochus wasn't on that elephant, but. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. Christians later drew a depiction of it, but they didn't know how an elephant looked in medieval Europe because they'd never seen one. Yeah. So they drew it like a cat or <laughs> yeah, yeah. other different... Like a giant... Very, a dog or it's like a pointed dog Doberman. Or something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah, interesting. I, I think piece. I've heard about that. Yeah, yeah. It's a famous yeah. painting. Yeah. It is. Um, so so meaning it's the culture where as much... There's more answers, of course. Yeah. You can look them up. You can look yeah. up the 100 answers to the question. The point isn't to go through all 100 answers. But I think there's, a, that, there's an article by Rav Yuri Cohen that goes through... Mm. You can find it. Goes find through, it. You yeah. go through Wikipedia. We can even the put answers? the link, uh, possibly, in the... In the description. In the description yeah. as well. Um, let's, let's finish off. Mm. Um, what's your favorite Hanukkah food? My favorite Oil Hanukkah food. food is gluten-free latkes. Yeah. Mm. With applesauce. Mm. Some people like it with sour cream, which is also good. But if you yeah. put it with sour cream and schug, that's even better. <laughs> Yemenite, Yemenite spices like yeah, like parsley, coriander, olive oil, salt, garlic, and chili peppers. Mm. A lot of chili peppers. Yep. Like Red chilies. Mm. Mm. That's good stuff. Mine is uh, sufganyot. Ah, you do but, you like but with the with ribat chalav, not yeah, not jam. butterscotch, butterscotch. Yeah, mm. my favorite. Oh, that's so good. See, I can't <laughs> eat sufganiyot anymore because I'm, I'm gluten free. The gluten free sufganiyot. It's not like you can break no. the rules for Hanukkah. Like no, just just I'll one get day. Sick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's Worth it. <laughs> Eggnog. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I gluten free beer. <laughs> what they do, what's wildly popular in the States is actually latkes and vodka. Really? Yeah. We should do that here. Latkes and vodka. Yeah. Oh, it's great. It's good Sounds stuff. good. Yeah. 
Sounds really good. Yeah, because it, it sounds not because of vodka sounded like, but it's like all, like all the twenty year old somethings things. Latkes and vodka, latkes and vodka. Oh my god, oh, unbelievable! <laughs> well, the like chavot, the, yeah, like, the, the groups that it's very go ahead and yeah, latkes and vodka. Mm. So because it was more of a history lesson, we had to give them something to argue about, mm. which is why I brought up food. That's right. So so I like latkes, almost like sufganiyat, which are not donuts, by the way. No, but close to. And by the way, just like Jerry Seinfeld says, are the donut holes actually made of donut holes? <laughs> That's a good and question. And if it is a donut hole, it's not a hole. No, it's not. <laughs> it's the donut. You can't eat the hole. <laughs> I think that's enough. <laughs> On that note, thank that you, note. thank you, Mr. Jerry Seinfeld, for giving us uh, some. On that room. note, uh, <laughs> follow us on Instagram at eots underscore podcast. Uh, like, share, share with everyone. Subscribe to our YouTube and uh, follow us on all the audio platforms. We I know that we're now on um, Apple podcasts oh nice yeah. all right good job even Thomas. though we don't have like a, a link but mm. that's okay you can look us up it's it's the same yellow e the the orange e with the, or the black orange e. circle with the black, black e, e on it um so that's our logo and uh that's gonna be please there. share subscribe yeah. all that good stuff yeah uh love when you guys listen um and uh, and argue it with us in the comments. Argue, please argue. Um, we don't have enough arguments. No, we no. don't. But we'll get there. Latkes versus Latkes versus Gunia. Yeah, we, we can make a, a, a poll, right? Yeah, Latke, and, and if yeah. you want a latke and vodka party, let us know. We'll, we'll see if we can arrange <laughs> one. Oh, that's been everything. Hanukkah Sameach, and thank Hanukkah you, Sameach. This has been everything under the sun. Enjoy your week.